Good morning, church family. <clears throat> Good to be here with you today. Uh, it's exciting. Um, uh, it's been a great weekend for those of us, some of us just coming back from uh, Man Down Weekend. Wow. Uh, it was just a great weekend of being in Scripture, singing praise uh, again and again, and just uh, incredible fellowship. Uh, and it's nice now to be back home uh, in church um, and, uh, and just, again, spending time in God's Word. Uh, my name is Mike. Uh, if you don't know me, I am one of the elders uh, here. And just a quick overview, uh, if we can, from last week, uh, where Brian gave us an overview of the book of Hebrews that uh, we're taking a deep dive now into today. Um, last week, Brian started in his overview of the book of Hebrews. He started in the last chapter, in chapter 13. Uh, and there's a benediction that you'd find on chapter, I'm sorry, in uh, verse 20 of chapter 13. And from the benediction, uh, Brian explained the goal. And of course, that goal is that you would have a life that is pleasing to God. You would have a life that is pleasing to God. And Brian went on to explain that in and of ourselves, we, we can't do that. We will fail. If it's left up to us, we can't do that. So included in that summary, Brian uh, you know, had said that if, if God left it up to us, we will fail. Um, but fortunately, the way we do please um, God is through his son, Jesus. And then Brian came back into the first chapter and just gave uh, an overview of some of the key verses from chapter 1 and then some of the subsequent chapters as well. And today we're going to find ourselves right at the very beginning in chapter 1. So if you would turn there in your Bibles with me, please. So Hebrews chapter 1. But before, before we begin actually reading, um, I'm curious, are there any, any Star Wars fans here? Just a good number of them. I don't, you know, I don't want to mislead you. I, I am not a Star Wars fan. It's just not a, it's not a genre that I tend to watch as far as movies. Uh, when the first one came out, uh, 1977, I was in uh, I was in junior high school. Um, I feel kind of old now. <laughs> wow. Um, I was in junior high school, and I didn't watch it when it first came out, uh, actually, back in 1977. Uh, I watched it for the first time about six years ago. And, uh, and it was really interesting, and it was under duress, a lot of pleading and begging for my wife uh, to watch uh, the movie. Like, you've got to watch this movie. And, and the reason I bring it up, so at the beginning of every Star Wars movie, so any of you that have seen those, there is this, this opening crawl. And so this is on there, so I'm really not paying attention. She's like, you've got to pay attention to this. This is important. And so I did. She said, you know, because the, the, the crawl itself, so if in the crawl, of course, there's this music going on in the background uh, and everything, and then these words are going up and scrolling. And uh, she said, you have to read that because it really helps set the stage for the movie. It helps you to understand or else you're kind of jumping in the middle and and of course, we know with that movie, you are jumping in the middle because there's a lot of them that came afterward that were before it. Wrap your hands around that one. But uh, I do remember this happening, and again, uh, you know, watching this, and then you know, for the it's interesting because for the past few weeks, as I've been reading Hebrews chapter one, every time 
I read the, uh, the first verses, the first paragraph, if you will, I couldn't help but not see that. that wow, this, I could, I could see the whole vision of that, that going on. And in my head, it's like, pay attention to this because this is really important here. And we're going to start there. But I want to remind you, of course, of the main idea of Hebrews. Brian talked about that last week. We got together again as a, as a group of elders, and we discussed, it's like, what's, what's the big picture for Hebrews? And that main idea was to remain faithful in every situation, looking to Jesus, who is superior in every way. And so for the whole book, again, it's remain faithful in every situation, looking to Jesus, who is superior in every way. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we open up your word, Father, I just pray that, that you would bring the scriptures uh, alive to us. Uh, Father, we, we read how you opened up the, the disciples' uh, eyes and minds to the, to the scriptures. Um, and Father, we pray that you would do the same for us. Father, that you would just open up your word that we would be able to dive into it and we would be able to see clearly what it is uh, that we are to glean from today's message, what it is, Lord, that, uh, that you would want us to know. How do our lives become transformed by what we are reading? How does it reinforce, perhaps, what we know? Or how does it change a behavior that perhaps we have fallen into? Lord, I just pray that you would guide me as I read through your word, as I reflect on your scriptures, and that you would just uh, take over, Lord, that you would just uh, speak uh, through me, uh, or get my words out of the way and your words. And Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. Mostly, Father, I'm thankful for your son. I just pray in his name. Amen. So if you'll look at uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14 with me. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of nature, of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For which to the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be a father to him and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprighteousness 
is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool from your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So as we read this, again, I point us back uh, to the beginning. Did you look at that, that, that opening crawl uh, there in the first few verses? You know, before we actually begin and just dig into the scriptures, as we try to unpack them, we need to make sure that, that we understand, in order to glean from that, we were, Brian talked about this last week, you've heard it again and again, that we need to understand the scriptures in order for us to understand the scriptures. We need to understand to whom it was written and why was it written to them. And then from there, are there any, any, any things that we can take out of that that may apply to our own lives? While there is much debate, uh, of course, and I bring Brian alluded to that in a question after his sermon last week, while there's much debate over the author of Hebrews, this is not the case regarding to whom it was written. Hebrews was written to, to Jewish Christians, Hebrew Christians in the early church. These Christians were having their faith challenged by the Jewish community at the time. These Jewish Christians were being persecuted and were actually considering returning to Judaism. They were, they were really challenged with their, these new beliefs that they were presented with. The book was written to show that the Jewish law, the cornerstone of the beliefs and traditions, played a legitimate role in the past, but was now superseded by a new covenant. The goal being that Jesus was superior to all and that they, the Jewish Christians, should persevere and remain faithful to God and Jesus as Jesus is the completion of what was hoped for from the beginning. So ultimately, you know, it was written to a group of people whose faith was being challenged. Does any of that ever resonate with us? Is our faith our belief ever challenged. So the overall picture from today's message, I want to look and see, again, my sermon title was, Who is Jesus to you? And the big picture is, are we seeing Jesus with the right perspective and that he is superior to all? But in order to see Jesus with the right perspective, we need to consider these three things that we're going to unpack now. One is the plan from the beginning. Two, who Jesus is. Number three, what our response should be. So let's take it from the beginning. The plan, actually, from the beginning. 
And remember to pay attention to the opening verses. So keep your Bibles actually open because we're going to be referencing it quite a bit. Let's look back again at verses 1 through 3. It says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, from whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. But also, as much as having that, that craw in, in the background, if you will, but I can't help but think of um, what we read in the Gospel of John in chapter 1 in verses 1 through 4. So we studied John not too long ago, so let me just remind you of those opening verses in John where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. So I, I kind of parallel those two things together, right? In John, it says, in the beginning. And here in Hebrews, it says, long ago. In Hebrews, it says, through whom also he created the world. And in John, it says, all things were made through him, and without them was not anything made that was made. And in Hebrews, it says, in him was life. And in John, it says, after making purifications for sins, which is, of course, where we get our eternal life. So what was the plan in the beginning? Jesus was the plan in the beginning. And the scripture here tells us that the plan was first to talk through the prophets. The prophets laid the foundation of what was to come. It was the plan from the beginning. The Old Testament prophets spoke of a king, a redeemer, a chosen one. They pointed to Jesus. Where do we see this? Well, we can't go through all of the pieces in Scripture that talk about that, but there's a few key ones way back to the beginning. In the New Testament, it's recorded in the book of Acts. Luke is writing in chapter 3, verses 25 to 36. He says, And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And that, of course, is Luke jumping back into Genesis chapter 22, the scripture from the beginning, referencing back to that time. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, it's recorded in verses 12 through 13 where God says through Nathan, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offering, I'm sorry, your offspring to succeed you. Your own flesh and blood, I will establish his kingdom. 
He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, this is Old Testament pointing to what was to come. And again, keeping in mind through the audience here, this is to ensure that these new Christians, these new, these, these, the, the Hebrews, the Jewish Christians, that they would see that what was has become something else. Don't just go back to this. So the plan from the beginning was and continues to be Jesus. That, again, was the message to the writer of Hebrews explaining this to those wavering Christians. So can we ourselves glean anything from that? Of course we can. We were reminded of the words of Luke as he was repeating from the promise to Abraham to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. You can't turn from your wicked ways on your own. It's just not possible. You can try again and again, and you will fail again and again. And as Brian alluded to again last week, if it was left up to us to try to please God, we would fail. So we turn to Jesus to turn us from our wicked ways to purify us. And that brings us, of course, to our second point. Who Jesus is. Again, my sermon title, Who is Jesus to you? And I think it's a fair question because we have a lot of misguided Christians out there. Going back to Hebrews, when we look at verses 3 and 4 again, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So again, I ask you, who is Jesus to you? What does scripture say? As we sat discussing the overlay of, of how we'd attack Hebrews, we discussed some of this. It was really interesting. You know, is Jesus, what are the things that some people think? Is Jesus your get-out-of-jail-free card? Okay. And I've actually had that told to me. It was told to me from people who were raised in the church from a very young age and who are older, married, and with kids. It's a friend of mine, actually, were having, he was having some challenges in his life and, and really going through some difficulties. And he started to talk about the scriptures and God working in his life and the truth. And, and he said, you know, I don't, I don't really need to do anything anymore. He really said, I, I have my get-out-of-jail-free card. It's like, wow, that's just, that's just not how it works. It's not about just saying a prayer, and then saying, hey, okay, I got the card. I can now do whatever I want to do. It doesn't work that way. Perhaps, you know, that's not your mentality, but your mentality may be, Jesus understands me. This is just the way that I am. I have an understanding. I have anger issues, and God understands that. I have this issue or that issue. If that's your belief, 
you and God don't have the same understanding. God understands that you have that, but that's not the way to continue. And again, it goes back to how do we turn from our wicked ways? Some, and you may have even seen bumper stickers, what about Jesus uh, or God is my co-pilot? If that's the case, then you're sitting in the, in the wrong seat. You know, again, we talked about some of this in the elder room and some of the other responses that we discussed where I only have to know about him. I don't have to try and be like him. I can't because he's God and I'm not, so why should I even try? And then there's those that think, well, Jesus overlooks sins. Haven't you heard about the story of the woman caught in adultery? We just don't pay any mind or any attention to it. And sadly, the world wants to tell us who Jesus is. But they're trying to tell us from a different worldview than we have. Some will say that Jesus is a prophet. And the Bible records this as well. But there are other religions, very active religions out there, that hold this belief as well, that he was just a prophet. Some other religions will say, actually, yes, Jesus is a God, but you can be one too. But Scripture tells us up above, we just read, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's not us. He makes purification for sins, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He has become more superior than angels. The name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. And again, this message is spoken to these wavering Christians and preserved for us. So I want to break apart some of those. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and what does that mean? We can see him sitting there. There's a throne and someone is to the right-hand side. But in the Bible, the right hand actually has meaning, especially God's right hand. It is the hand of strength. And we read that in Exodus, chapter 15, verse 6, actually. It means the person or whoever is seated at the right hand is the authority or has the authority of God. In Revelation, chapter 5, verse 1, and the one seated at the right hand is the blessing from Genesis 48, 14. So being seated at the right hand of God means that he shares God's strength, authority, and blessing. It is the highest place and the highest honor possible. When Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, it means all other things are subject under him. And we read that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. It says, Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What does that mean? It means he has authority over them. Does Jesus have authority over you? Who is Jesus to you? Have you given the authority of your life? Have you handed it over and said, I, I can't do it? 
I need someone else to be an authority over me. Have you given up, if you will, the pilot seat? In John chapter 17, verses 1 through 11, now John chapter 17 is really very interesting. Um, it is right after um, the Last Supper, and they're headed out to the garden. And Jesus prays for the disciples, and he prays for us. We spent some time, clearly a few months ago, on that as we were going through John. But particularly in verse 11 of John, I want you to listen very, very carefully here. In, the, in John chapter 7, verse 11, it says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. Talking about the disciples, the apostles. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, listen, which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. So when we look at verse 4 of Hebrews, what does it say? In verse 4 it says, Having become much superior to angels, as the name he inherited. Well, what name did he inherit? It tells us there in John. God. Jesus is God. So who is Jesus to you? Is he riding shotgun? Is he your, your, your homeboy? Is he your cousin? You know, it's like, he's my friend. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is much more than that. And we have to remember that. And then the scriptures, you know, verses 1 through 3 actually talk about who Jesus is. And verse 4 explains why that is so. And then when we look at verse five, verses 5 through 14, the author is talking about Jesus' supremacy over the angels. But in all of these verses, 5 through 14, it reinforces what we're going to see in those opening three verses. Again, the writer says, for which did the angels of God, uh, did the angels, did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Again, it's trying to delineate, like there's a separation here. You are my son. He didn't say that to the angels. When the firstborn, scripture tells us here, when the firstborn is into the world, he says, let the angels worship him. We know we're only allowed to worship God. We're only, and he's telling the angels, right, they wouldn't worship someone less than they are, but only someone higher than they are. Does the greater worship the lesser, or does the lesser worship the greater? Again, always keeping in mind who this was written to and why, and then what can we get out of it. You know, the angels played a significant role and an importance in the Old Testament. And again, verse five through verses five through fourteen reinforce, reinforce what the first three verses imply. In verse ten, again, thinking about what we read at the beginning, in verse ten it says, "You, lay, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up, like a garment. They will be changed." but you are the same. And again, they're talking about Jesus. 
This is what God said to Jesus, or about Jesus, excuse me. So these verses actually come, they're a reflection. Again, the, the author pointing back to the Old Testament, these actually come from Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. The writer is referencing the Old Testament to show that this is the cornerstone. This is who what was talked about. So don't fade away or don't waver in your belief. And this brings us to our third point. And that is what should our response be? What should our response be? Verse 12 tells us that we just read. Like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment, they will be changed. Have you been changed? When we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, our lives, like a garment, will be changed. If we do not submit our lives to Jesus Christ, we will perish. So what should our response then be? Well, if you have not already, we should look to Jesus as God. Not less than that. We should recognize that the Old Testament is important because it laid the foundation of what, has, what was to come and, of course, has since come. The Old Testament is important. It's like, oh, you know, I wanna, I'm only going to read the New Testament. No, no, you need to read the Old Testament. Why do we go back and read that? Why do we study that? Because it, 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 it points to what was to come. And that's what that writer is trying to do for the Hebrews as well. We can't dismiss what was written in the Old Testament. I was kind of thinking, I was like, how do I best explain that? You know, in a strong tree needs deep roots to weather difficult storms. We need deep roots to weather difficult storms. We need Jesus Christ and fully understand who he is to weather the storms that we have in our lives. But this only happens to those of us that have submitted to him. Is there a time in your life when you said, I just, yeah, I need that get-out-of-jail-free card. That's, that's not what we're asking you for. We're asking you, is there a time in your life that you said, Lord, I can't do it. I keep trying, and I fail, and I need you to take over. I need to submit to you, and I need to abide in you, and I need to follow your ways. If that time has not happened, then, then maybe today is that day that you talk to myself or one of the other elders or anyone else that you've seen on stage here. The final verse of chapter 14, I'm sorry, the final verse of chapter 1 in verse 14, it says, and again, that reference between who are the angels and who is Jesus and who is better explains their purpose. Talking about the angels, it says, 
are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? The angels have a purpose. That purpose is not to be worshipped and to be glorified. Only God gets that. Their purpose is to serve those who will be who will inherit salvation. Is that you? So again, my title today is, Who is Jesus to you? And as we start this journey in Hebrews, we don't want to let the world tell us who Jesus is. The world does want to tell us that, though. And just as Satan this twisted scripture to appeal to Adam and Eve and what they really wanted. The world would try to do that to us as well. They'll twist it. The world may say, Jesus is love, and, and what, that's not love. You're, you're being a hater. Not by Jesus' definition, not by the Bible's definition, we're not. The world may say, well, this was written so long ago. You know, times have changed now. But Scripture tells us this was written long ago. And Jesus endures forever. Eternal life endures forever. God doesn't change. The challenges in the Bible are no different than the challenges that we have today. The technology may be a little bit more advanced, but the problems are exactly the same. It's the power struggle that we have with who has control over our lives. Is Jesus in control? The only way that we can be rescued is through Jesus Christ. The only way that we can please God is through Jesus Christ. Is it time, if you have not submitted to him, to do that. Pray with me. Father God, Father, we're just so thankful, Father, for your word. Father, we're thankful that you do not change. Father, we're thankful that your ways are pure, your, your ways, are, they're consistent, your ways lead to eternal life. And Father, we're thankful that we can trust you to hand over our lives to you. Father, we pray, Father, as we continue in our study in Hebrews, that we would see over and over again the supremacy of Jesus over all.